on, on husbands and husbands, if, you, if I see any elbows going like this or nudges, we're going to cut that arm off right where that nudge there. So let's, uh, let's put our attention to the Word of God this morning. We're going to focus on Ephesians 5 verses 22 through 24. And um, just remember that I'm the messenger here, alright? I'm not the editor, I'm the messenger. And I don't edit God's Word. Uh, I am to proclaim its truths here. And uh, I will also uh, um, uh, tell you that uh, the best place, the best place to have these truths ministered to your heart is what Paul tells the older women to do to the old, to the younger women in Titus chapter two. In fact, the things that we're going to talk about here in Ephesians five twenty two through twenty four are very much the core of what Paul tells the older women to be teaching and discipling the younger women in in Titus chapter two. You can check that out uh, if you think I'm making it up, but it is the truth. And uh, we do need a whole host of women counselors and women disciples. Uh, who have grown in these truths, maybe have not arrived in them, but have grown in these truths to be women who are discipling uh, our, our, our younger ladies. But here's my shot at it, Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, and I just pray that the Lord uh, speaks His truth um, and, and nothing else. Let's look in verse 22 again. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then skip down to the last verse, verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, that means individually, so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. This is a powerful passage and it is essential for strong families and a strong gospel witness. If we set the backdrop of this passage, we need to go back all the way to creation in Genesis 1 and 2. And in particular, chapter 2, um, uh, where Paul even brings, brings up the, the, the passage in verse, uh, verse 30 and 31 of Genesis chapter 2, where God created woman. And given the the way creation unfolds, one scholar writes, how it builds to ever higher and higher works of art, if you look at study Genesis 1 and 2, can there be any doubt that Eve is the crown of creation? Not an afterthought, not a nice addition like an ornament on a tree. She is God's final touch, His peace day resistance. You see, God made man and woman to be reflective of His image. And do you know that men do that in a different way than women do? I think you probably figured that out. But God has man and woman to reflect God's image in very different ways. When a man reflects God's image, he was reflecting it in a different way than a woman might reflect God's image. Connie shared me some background on the history uh, or the meaning of the word help me in Genesis chapter 2 when God created Eve to be a help me for Adam. And that's normally how we, we have translated it. It's a very difficult word to translate, but um, uh, Connie Champion passed on these, these, uh, these, uh, this, this research on that word. When God creates Eve, he calls her in the Hebrew, and Ezer Kenegado. I probably slaughtered the way you're supposed to translate that. 
But it's where it's where Moses writes in Genesis, it's not good for the man to be alone. I shall make him a... And that's the word that's used. One scholar, Hebrew scholar, Robert Alter, who has spent years translating the book of Genesis, says this, this phrase is notoriously difficult to translate. And the way you see it translated in your English translations is, is helper uh, or companion or help me. Um, but none of them get to the fullness of the truth. They're the best we can do. And one writer asks a question about that word help me that we've translated as. What little girl dances through the house singing, one day I shall be a help me? Right? Or one day I shall be a companion, right? A dog can be a companion, right? So it's more than that. Or a helper. Well, you know, author points out we have hamburger helper. That doesn't necessarily add any dignity to it. But the idea here, according to Hebrew scholar Robert Alter, is this. It means a sustainer beside him. A sustainer beside him. It's used, that word ezer is used in 20 other places in the Hebrew Scriptures. But in every other instance, the word is used describing God Himself. In other words, it describes God when you come to a situation where you desperately need Him to sustain you and help you. Deuteronomy 33, verses 26 and 29 says, There is none like the God of Jeshurun who rides on the heavens to help you. That's the word. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. So it's not like, um, you know, my kids are helping me do a job, a task. I, you know, have some token things for them to do for some of them because they're not quite at the age of maturity to be really helping me. That's not the idea here. Rather, the idea is you really need help. And God comes and rescues you. He's your Ezer. How many of you have ever heard the name Ebenezer? Ebenezer, all right? Um, and one of the songs we sing, Come Thou Fount, we talk about God being our Ebenezer. Ebenezer. Eben is stone. Ezer means help. Our stone of help. Our, our sustainer here. Psalm 121. Uh, probably many of you have memorized. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It's the word sustainer. My sustainer here comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The sustainer who comes alongside of us. Psalm 20, verses 1 and 2. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May He send you help, sustaining help beside you. Psalm 33, 20. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our house, O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. He who fear Him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Psalm 115, 9-11. And you see how the idea of help there is somebody who's really in distress who needs, who needs help. And so most of the, 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 the way these verses and this word is used fit in context where it's life or death. It's not like, yeah, it's nice if you could help me. And God is your only hope. In other words, if He is not beside you, you're going to have a quick end. It's not going to be good. And so, an understanding of this word easier or help is, has a richer understanding of the word lifesaver. Lifesaver. So Eve comes alongside uh, Adam in that context as a lifesaver in certain respects. 
why would we need someone to, why would Adam need someone to uh, be a lifesaver? It's a perfect world, right? Because uh, uh, God called Adam to a life that would require that. Adam was to have dominion over the, over the world. Um, and in a fallen world, you can see how there are many risks and dangers. And God has called us men to be on a mission. A mission to glorify Him, to bear His name, to reflect His image. But you know what? He also told us that uh, if we're married, we have someone who helps and assists in that in a very deep way. And in Ephesians 5, 22 and 33, we are not looking at somebody here who God has joined to the man as somebody who is just a token help, but somebody who has a real deep design in help. But God also, in this design, has designated the ways that we obey and glorify Christ in our marriages. And so Ephesians 5, 22-24 shows us this, that the primary way a Christian wife pleases God is by showing the beauty of the Gospel. And in a wife like this, people can see how the Gospel works at a practical level in their marriages. And by the way, that might make an eternal difference for people who are wondering about the hope that you have in you and give you opportunity to to respond where that hope comes from. The marriage relationship here is transparent to God's purposes on a larger scale. No other relationship within the family so fully mirrors God's purposes in the universe, one scholar says. This passage in Ephesians 5, 23-24 has such a weight to it that every Christian wife who grasps the gospel will respect the husband as her head that God has given her. His love for her, his, her respect for him, displays the romance of Christ, the undying, the undying sacrificial love of Christ in the church that is the only thing that brings lasting hope in a broken-hearted world. So I don't know how else to say this except the stakes really matter here for wives to understand this, for our witness to a lost and dying world. First of all, notice, number one, the command. Number one, the command. <clears throat> In verse 22, he says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. In verse 22, the command. Now, the word submit is not in the original. The verb submit isn't in there. It's actually taking the idea of verse 21, where he says, submitting yourselves one another in fear of God. It literally says this, wives then to your own husbands. Wives to your own husbands. So it takes the thought of this idea of submission in verse 21. Wives then to your own husbands. The calling of the wife for her part, is an attitude of readiness to yield to and support her husband's worthy headship that God has designed. I'm sorry, but there is no New Testament alternative here for a wife. It's not as if God is saying, uh, this idea of submission is, is, is a good idea. You could also do this too. This is the way that the the wife bears the gospel of Jesus Christ, displays the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the watching world and to the church. Because this is repeated in Colossians 3. It's repeated in 1 Corinthians 11. The idea is repeated in 1 Peter 3. And it's repeated in 1 Timothy 2. There are no alternatives. This is the way that God has designed for you to glorify Christ if you are a wife here today. 
Secondly, I'd like you to notice the concept. There's a concept, an idea behind the command here. He says, as to the Lord, in verse 22. Submit yourselves to your husbands, own husbands, as to the Lord. And then, uh, he says in verse uh, 33, uh, the wife see that she reverence her husband. Uh, it's part of the command. And, 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 and verse... I see my place here in my Bible. In verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. So there are two ways that Paul describes this concept here, this idea of the command of submission. He says, first of all, submit as to the Lord. And secondly, he says, here's your other picture, as the church does to Christ. In other words... What Paul's saying is this. Marriage is a parable. It's a picture. It's an illustration of the permanent reality of the church that God formed out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which tells us that that means that this design is a dignifying design. It's a dignifying design. You know, in our culture and in our days and maybe your background, the idea of subordination to authority in general... Um, and even in the family, is out of favor, isn't it? You see all kinds of riots and, uh, 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 that, that are, that are um, pushing up whenever, whenever somebody is, is not satisfied with authority. Riots tend to, tend to accumulate in our culture, don't they? Subordination, in many people's minds, uh, we think tyranny, and we think exploitation, and we think oppression. But listen... The idea of authority does not equal tyranny. Not God's idea of authority. No. The submission to which the Apostle is referring to does not mean that the one who is submitting is inferior in value to that person. No. Because this passage here, from Ephesians 5.22 through chapter 6, verse 9, is what's called a household text in the New Testament. And it has this pattern, this drumbeat, you'll notice here, of the one who is to submit to the one who is to be in authority. The one who is to submit to the one who is going to be in authority. And their, and their responsibilities in each of their tasks. It goes all the way through. Wives to husbands. Uh, husbands to the Lord. Children to their parents, etc. Here, and so what what he is describing, or Paul is describing, is that wives and husbands have different God-appointed designs, but they have an equal dignity because they have all been made in the divine image of God, and in Christ. If you read the following, the preceding chapters of Ephesians, they have put on the new person who is created to be like God. Ephesians four verse twenty-four, and so. God is creating a new humanity, which He's created in His Son, Jesus. And this new humanity has a oneness in Jesus, a union in Jesus. Jew and Gentile are brought together. And so the Apostle here is not setting up barriers here, but he is describing how this oneness in the home is achieved in Jesus. The, 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 the commands to submit or be subordinate are also used of Jesus. And Jesus is not any less uh, 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 of, a, of a value or worth than any other member of the triune God, is He? But yet Jesus submitted His own will to His Father's will. So it is not an inferiority. 
It is not a lesser honor. It is not a lesser glory. In fact, Genesis 2, as I mentioned, puts Eve on a pedestal as the last thing that God creates. But at the heart of this submission is this idea of an order. You see, God has established certain leadership and authority roles within the family. And what submission is, it is a humbling recognition of God's design, that order. We might ask ourselves, well, he says to wives are to submit as to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, it tells us this, that they are not to look at their husbands as the end of their submission, but just as an employer is not to look at his master or his boss as the end of their employment, he is to, he is to uh, 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 understand that his ultimate employer, he is a steward of Jesus Christ. And the wife is to understand that her husband is not the ultimate authority, it's Jesus Christ. And so she is responsible to Jesus Christ in her submission here. But he also says, submit... Uh, and the idea there is, is be in subordination, uh, be in uh, uh, not a, um, a, uh, a, a rebellious role. But he says, um, therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be subject to their own husbands and everything. Now, what does that look like? What does it look like for the church to be subject to Jesus in this letter of Ephesians? I want to answer that here by looking at a few verses here. To submit to Christ so that wives have a better idea of what it means to be in line and in design here with their husbands. First of all, God has graciously placed everything, Ephesians tells us, everything under Christ's feet and He causes Him to be the head over all for the benefit of the church. Look in chapter 1 and verse 22. Paul says... He has put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, Jesus. So the church then gladly submits to His rule because He is good. He is good. In chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, He says this, "...and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom..." All the building, fitly framed together, grows to a holy temple in the Lord. That Christ is the vital cornerstone on whom God's building of the church is constructed. And as this new community looks to Jesus, it grows and it progresses to its ultimate goal of holiness. Look in chapter 3, verse 17 and 19. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, Christ indwells the hearts of His people. He establishes them so that they may be able to comprehend the greatness of His love. This is Christ's role with the church. Chapter 4 and verse 7. But to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. The church receives God's gift of grace. And then verses 11 and 12 tells us this. And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Talking about God's gifts to the church. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The ministers He gives are for the purpose of enriching the whole body of the church. And verse 13 tells us this, Till 
we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The church grows toward its head, toward its authority here. The ultimate goal of which is the whole measure of Christ's fullness. Verse 15 says this, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things which is the head, even Christ. In verse 16, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, makes increase of the body to the edifying of itself in love. In other words, the church receives everything from Christ that is necessary to flourish and grow. So it frames here, we could keep going, 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 but it frames here this idea of what their, the, the authority and the subordinate roles are for the husband and the wife. Husband is to have the wife's best interests in mind and to see her flourish and prosper and he provides what she needs. The church is to imitate Christ's sacrificial love. It's to please the Lord. It's to live in goodness, holiness, and truth. It's to sing praise Him, live in, 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 in fear, respect, honor. In other words, it's looking to Christ. The church is to look to Christ for the, for the um, uh, uh, gifts that He has given in order to fulfill um, her, her tasks. So what does that have to do with the Ephesians chapter 5 and the wife's submission? Well, he says this. In verse 24, he says, Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject, is the implied word, be to their own husbands in everything. So let. In other words, there is no part of her life that she keeps to herself only and says to her husband, you have no place here, you keep out. Jesus does not say to the church, and the church can never say to Jesus, we're all good, You stay out of this part. We can handle it from here. And so it is with the wife. This idea of submission is to say, you have no place here, you keep out, that's not part of it. Because to be one flesh in marriage is all-encompassing like no other relationship. You you all have good friendships, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, with other people. But there are lines in those friendships. Not so in marriage. It is all-encompassing. A wife's submission to her husband as to the Lord in everything is a powerful display of the gospel in human form. In other words, in a wife like Paul is describing here in Ephesians 5, in a wife like that, people can see how the gospel works at a practical level. And it may make an eternal difference in their lives. Let's ask ourselves then, what does it mean for a wife to submit and respect in this way? Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your own husbands as the Lord. 5.24, wives should submit to their husbands. 5.33, let the wife see that respects or reverences her husband. First of all, number one, it does not mean that the wife is less valuable, less intelligent, or less competent. Both men and women equally bear the image and likeness and dignity of God. They have equal dignity and value. It doesn't mean that men are more important than women. That's not true. 
It doesn't mean that the husband's more intelligent than the wife. Some of us are good examples of that, right? This has nothing to do with IQ. It also doesn't mean that the husband is more competent in certain things than the wife is. It's the idea of this. i got two hands. I'm right-handed. This is my dominant hand. The right hand can do things that the left can't do. The left hand, for me, I know this isn't true of everybody, for me, the left, my left hand can do things that my right hand can't do. Um, and there's some things that they both can do, but the idea is they work together for a common purpose. And I need them both. And that's the idea. Men, you're to be the head of the home and the leader. The wife is intelligent, she is gifted, she is capable and competent, and when Genesis 2.18 says she's the sustainer beside him, that means she actually might be more competent in some areas than you are. So you work together, and by the way, you might be more competent in other areas that she's not. So you work together so that you're better together. But secondly, this does not mean that men in general are to be ruling over women in general. That's not what this passage is teaching. It doesn't mean that. We're talking here about marriage. Notice what he says in verse 22. He does not say, Wives, you be, you be submissive to all the husbands in the church. Not what he says. He says this, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. It, it, it would not be wise for me to say to my daughters, men are in charge in this world, do what they say. Because I don't see that in Scripture. That leads to horrific abuse, to degradation, to denigration. And what we're talking about here is one woman, a wife, with one man, her husband. Um... We're talking about architecting the family like Jesus leading the church. Okay, So, um, those of you who aren't yet married, but that may be something that happens in your future, you need to be a competent, godly, intelligent, well-educated woman, and then marry men who are up to that task. Number three. It doesn't mean that the wife does not have independent thoughts. We're individual beings, aren't we? But in marriage, in marriage, you don't walk up to the wife and say, Oh, so what do you think about this? And then she responds, Well, ask my husband. Honey, what do I think? No. She has her own thoughts. Any, any of you who are married know that a woman has her own thoughts, right? Sometimes those thoughts are different than your thoughts. Men. Have you married men noticed that? It doesn't mean she doesn't have independent thoughts. She does have independent thoughts. And naturally, and many times rightly, a wife will at times disagree with her husband. Anybody discovered that yet? She'll think for herself. She asks questions. She might express some reservations she might have. She might help her husband see a problem from another angle of vision here. And her counsel can add value to her husband. And a wise husband will seek his wife's input. Still, in the end, the husband is uniquely responsible as the head of the home to bear the burden as head. And a Christian wife should be asking the question, how can I represent to my husband something of the church's joyful submission to Christ as the head? Fourthly, it doesn't mean that the wife 
can't seek to influence her husband. In fact, Proverbs 19 verse 14 says, A prudent wife is from the Lord. A prudent wife is from the Lord. That tells us that she can offer some things that maybe you hadn't thought of before. Genesis 2.18 talks about the man needing that sustainer beside him. That means that if she's going to be sustainer, if she's going to be prudent, then she's got to be able to offer and influence. It doesn't mean she can't influence him. My wife probably influences, influences me more than anyone. But she's to be a prudent, helpful, godly influence. And, but she should seek to influence her husband. That's different than trying to change your husband into who you want them to be. That's not your job. God brought them together. Your husband needs help. You can be helpful, wives. Fifthly, it does not mean that the wife doesn't express her thoughts and feelings. This idea of submission doesn't mean that um, the wife can't feel anything or say anything. It doesn't mean that. You can, in a respectful way, influence and help your husband. You can also, in a bad way, pick a fight and declare a war. The idea of it is this. Perhaps you might say, honey, I think that's a bad idea. In a respectful, kind way. Honey, I don't know about that. I feel wrong about that. Something in me says, that's just not right. There's nothing wrong with expressing those feelings properly. Six, does that mean a wife then has this rose-colored glass, these rose-colored glasses on that does, does never sees her husband's flaws? No. But it does mean she begins encouraging those aspects of his character that reflects the Lord's. Ladies, if you're honest here, I know you want to be married to a man that you can respect. And that respects you. But you will find in any marriage that there are things in that man that you don't respect. And to help those areas that you don't respect, you want to encourage that husband, you want to encourage those areas you do respect to help him to grow into the man that God intends for him to be. It doesn't mean a man is flawless and without sin. But it means that a woman approaches in a graceful way to help that man be more like Jesus, understands that she doesn't change the man, Jesus changes. That's what it means to respect. Seven. This means that you as a wife have a place in the family to set a pattern for those underneath you to respect your husband. If mom disrespects dad in front of the kids, are they going to respect dad? No. If wife disrespects husband in front of his friends or his co-workers, will they respect her husband? No. Women who publicly disrespect their husbands encourage others to do the same. And it is toxic. And it's sin. This doesn't mean you never disagree with your husband, but you do so respectfully, and you should do it privately. When you disrespect or cut down your husband in front of others, you put your husband in a lose-lose scenario, one person says. What do you mean by that? 
Well, if he argues back, he's being mean, right? If he doesn't argue back, he's being weak. Lose-lose scenario. And Proverbs talks about certain women who are like a dripping faucet. Did you ever go to sleep and you heard a faucet drip? And it, you, just, you just couldn't settle into your, into your sleep cycle? Proverbs 27.15 says, A perpetual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are very similar. Plunk. 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 Some women are a nag to their husbands. And I'm glad none of them exist in this room. Disrespectful, quarrelsome. Being married to them is like a life sentence. And some guys that read a verse like Proverbs that says continual dropping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike and it's better to live in the corner of the roof than a house with a quarrelsome, ill-tempered wife and they're ready to go camping. Don't be that wife. Don't be that wife. Because that is the opposite here of everything that Ephesians 5.22-24 is talking about. Someone who finds fault, someone who is never satisfied, someone who just demands, someone who just has a tiresome fretfulness and worry. No man gets married in order to live under a, re- a leaky roof, right? So to speak. And no man gets married to live with a nagging, scolding wife. Now that doesn't give you grounds to leave that wife. But life at home should never be dripping water torture. Your home is to be a place of refuge, not more of the storm that he copes with outside every day. A wise Christian wife, 1 Peter 3, has a gentle and quiet spirit and seeks to make her home a haven and a refreshing place because her husband will go out again into the day, the next day, into that work, and face more challenges. Wives, God made Adam first. And He put him in the garden to do a job. A mission to fulfill. And in our broken world of today, deep in the heart of every man sitting in this room, and all men in general, there is a voice of self-doubt that says, am I man enough to meet the challenges here? Am I going to fail? Is there even a point of trying? And God allows you, women, to boost the confidence of the husbands that He's given you. Now, that husband should find their confidence in the Lord, but God can use you as a person to point their confidence to the Lord. I believe in you. I know you can follow God's call by God's grace for God's glory. The Lord is with you. I'm behind you. You got this. Go for it. By God's power. She's not going to put her husband down if she's wise. She's not going to laugh at him and mock him. But she will be the one who strengthens and builds him up for God's glory. And a husband will accomplish more by the power of her respect than he ever could on his own. And that's why the word respect occurs in this passage. It breathes life into a man. And finally, as I mentioned here, This idea isn't just for humans. God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. There's one God, three persons. 
God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are equal, having all the same divine attributes, character traits. And Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, He submitted to God the Father and did His will on this earth. So you can be equal and be under authority. A teacher is not more valuable than a student. A political leader is not more valuable than a citizen. And any time we, 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 we skew that, we see problems happen in society, don't we? Someone who is leading, and we have always have someone who is deferring to that leadership. A player is not less of a human or more valuable than a coach. We have these relationships all the time. If a police officer pulls you over and he says, and, 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 and writes a ticket for you, and you say, hey, we're equal. You have no right to give me a ticket. What's going to happen, Tim? <laughs> Actually, you're going to practice submission if you're wise, right? So here's the way it works. Jesus, the Son of God, the Bible says the Father uh, sends the Son, and Jesus says on, this, on, the, on the earth, I'm not here just to do whatever I want. I'm here to do what the Father sent me to do. He says, I don't just say whatever I want to say. I say what the Father tells me to say. Jesus prays, Your will be done. And He tells us to pray that way. That's submission. That's submission. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before He is crucified... Jesus Christ has this prayer that He says to His Father when His back is against the wall. He says, is it, if it is possible to remove this cup, then remove it, this cup of suffering. But then He says, but not My will. Your will be done. And wives, to respect and submit is to be like Jesus was to His Father. It is to be like the church is to Jesus. That's one of the ways you learn to be like Jesus. Wives, are there things you need to confess and repent of this morning? Is your part of the tone of your marriage a tone of loving, respectful submission that builds up your husband rather than tearing him down, despite his many flaws? Would Jesus, who holds you accountable, look at your home and your marriage and your life and say that your example in marriage is what he was talking about here in Ephesians 5? By God's grace. All for the glory of God, by obedience to Jesus' command, for the sake of the gospel and the salvation of the world. That is the intent of the design of wives. And next week we'll look at husbands. And part two of marriage and expression.